Today on Sound Advice Entrepreneurs Unfiltered, brought to you by Sage, it's all about building a business with culture and character. Gushman Day moved from Delhi to the UK when he was five. He couldn't speak a word of English and he was targeted by racist bullies. He felt like an outsider until he found his tribe in the hip-hop and graffiti scene, which led to a career in graphic design. Now he's the founder of brand agency Bulletproof, employing more than 300 people across six offices globally. Gush is here to talk about thinking like a misfit, making people feel like they belong, and his mission to put a dent in the establishment. Gush, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Kate. It's a real pleasure. Thank you. It's great to have you here. Um, so I want to dive straight in. Um, so you moved to Southall when you were just a kid. New culture, new language, new environment, new food. Um, and I know you struggled to fit in. Just tell us a little bit about that experience and your early memories. Yeah, well, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't speak English. You know, I could speak, I could speak four Indian dialects. You know, I couldn't speak English. Um, we, we moved from quite a large house you know, in, in the suburbs of Delhi to uh, one bedroom. We lived in, all four of my family lived in one bedroom. My mum, my dad, my, my sister and myself. Um, so, you know, it was it was completely different. You know, it was very cold, you know, whereas I've been used to it being very warm, you know. And so everything felt different, you know, and having to go to school, you know, a new school um, was 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 really like a kind of a, a you know an experience I'd, I'd never had before I, I really enjoyed school in India from what I remember you know and I was quite kind of outcast in in the school uh, that I attended over here and, and you experienced quite a lot of racial abuse didn't you as a kid and growing up not just from other school kids but also from the police and the establishment as well yeah from from everyone it was it was a really it was just a difficult i think it was a difficult time for the country you know if i if i think if i if i look back on it now um you know a lot of social political unrest you know um a lot of i, I guess a lot of the english thinking their identities are they're losing their identity um the national front was a was a big thing you know and you know honestly everyone Everyone I came into contact with at certain points, at certain junctures, there was racism there, you know. And I either experienced it, you know, in totality where I was called, you know, various, you know, various names, you know, you black this, black bastard, you know, packy, all this kind of stuff. Or it was it was sort of, I was just kind of ignored, you know, in some shops, you know. So the kind of, the more, um, you know, the more well-to-do neighbourhoods that I would frequent, you know, if I was going there, they'd just sort of ignore me, you know. And then where I grew up and where I was growing, you know, I just, yeah, so it would be very much in your face, you know. I remember numerous occasions of just grown men shouting, you know, out of fans at me, you know. Um, and I'm a, I'm a kid, right? I don't know, I don't know what's going on, you know. I'm just, I'm just walking, I'm just trying to walk across the street, you know. They're stopping their vans and shouting at me and stuff like that. So, and then as, as I got, as I got older, you know, I started to experience that with authority as well, you know, so um, within the police system, you know, constantly getting stopped and searched, you know, which I, th which I know still goes on today, you know, and it's just not, it's, <laughs> it's just not a great technique, you know, we, we'd, we'd be rallied out of, you know, we'd be, we'd be driving our cars, you know, very young and we'd be taken out of our cars, the cars would be searched, you know, in and out, 
you know, no apologies, nothing. We'd be walking down the street, you know, and uh, we'd be accosted and we'd be split up into, you know, our group of three or four of us, you know, just walking. Um, you know, everything searched, you know, it just, um, it was just a very difficult time, you know, and when, when society treats you like that, when authority treats you like that, you know, you know, you don't belong because they're not, they're not doing that to everyone else. You know, while we're being searched, you know, groups of, you know, let's just, let's just say how it is, you know, groups of white kids are walking past, you know, looking at us, you know, and so it's not happening to everyone. So you're kind of going, what's, what's the difference here? What have I done? You know, and so, yeah, it just we got it. We got it from everywhere, you know. And that that sort of feeling of not belonging, of always feeling different to everybody else, and um, you know, you must have built up quite a lot of anger and resentment. How did you break the cycle? Well, so when I was when I was young, so well, you know, I'm talking, I'm talking sort of six, seven. You know, I was just kind of trying to comprehend it, you know, and I couldn't, and it just made me very. I I remember feeling just a bit confused, you know, and, and quite emotional about it, you know, not really understand it. As I got a little older, you know, around 12, 13, I started getting very angry about it, you know, and by then I could speak, you know, I could speak English, you know, and I, I, I started getting into fights, scraps, you know, with, with, with anyone and everyone. There was one, there was one occasion where it just, it just happened, you know, and then after that, I was I was just very angry for for quite a long time, you know, and I don't think I was a, a very nice person, you know. Um, I kind of carried this chip with me, you know. I knew I didn't fit in, and if someone would look at me the wrong way, we just we just get into it, you know. Um, and I remember, yeah, I remember being quite physical, you know, I'm very angry, you know, and um, you know, very confused still, you know, um, as to why it was happening, but. The way I dealt with it was very different. Yeah, and you you channeled some of that sort of anger and aggression into a into a more creative outlet, didn't you? And you you sort of found that tribe in graffiti and hip hop. Tell us tell us about that and how you sort of found your identity there. Yeah, I did. So so what happened is so it, it goes it goes right back to my schooling, you know. And so I just I didn't have a great schooling, and it st- it started when I when I came to the UK. So because I couldn't speak English. For some reason, teachers would ask me to speak, uh, you know, from books and make me stand up in front of the whole class, right? And the class would laugh because I couldn't, I couldn't speak English, right? And so, and instead of seeing that and kind of protecting me, they just, they just let me carry on, you know. And so, I, and the reason that's important is I started reading comic books, you know. So, comic books became a staple because there were ways for me to understand story and narrative through color and vision. And very small sound bites, really. So I could, so, so I actually learned to read through comic books, and because they were so visual, I started to draw. So I started to draw the comics, and I started to draw the characters, you know. And I fell in love with some of the characters, you know, especially Batman and the Hulk, you know. And I loved the Hulk because he just his way of dealing with everything was just smashing it apart, you know. So I just, you know, I loved, you know, I just loved his kind of his way of right. I'm not having this. I'm just going to break it, you know. And so. You know, I so I used to draw them, you know, all the time, and that really that really became the precursor to me loving art, you know. And because I I I still didn't love school because of that experience, you know. And you keep that, you harbour that experience for a long, long time, you know. Um, what I did love was art, and I was encouraged by one teacher, 
you know, and I think this happens a lot, actually, you know, you only need one person to really care about you. Uh, and I, I remember he, he sat me down and just said, look, you know, you've got great talent, but I've got news for you. Talent is everywhere. And it's really how you choose to use it. And if you want to focus it, I think you could go far. But if you don't, it's just a waste, you know. And I was doing a lot of graffiti at the time uh, and love and loving it, you know. And that was kind of, you know, in the, in the dark, you know, that was um, over the weekends and, and what have you. So I wasn't doing a lot of schoolwork, you know. And he was just saying, look, you know, something's got to give. You've got, you know, I'm not saying don't do that, but I'm saying focus on a a creative, you know, career, if you like. Um, and he made me, he, he said to me, look, I've got an ex-student who used to study under me. She now teaches the graphics course at um, Hounslow College, which is West Thames now. Um, and unbeknown to me, it's one of the best courses in the country. And he said, look, I'd, I'd just like you to go there and, and have a chat with her. So I went there and had a chat with her. You know, she was like, I love your work. You know, it's gr- really strong. It's very graphic. And I, I didn't know what that meant, you know. And she was like, well, you know, it's very stylistic. And with this, you could create, you know, she was like, you could create posters. I was like, nah. She was like, you create brochures. I was like, nah. And then she was like, you know, record sleeves. And there was that light bulb moment, you know, when I was like, yeah, you know, because I loved I loved hip hop, you know, I loved music, the music, the dance culture, the the graffiti, right? Um, that's where I found my belonging, you know. So not fitting in at school, really, not not fitting in the way the society, you know, was. Um, hip hop was very new, you know, to me, and I found that calling there, you know. And so, and I, you know, I started like everyone, a bit a bit of dancing, you know. I loved the fashion, I loved the clothing, loved the music, still do, still my big passion. And then I started getting into graffiti, right? And because I read the comics and because I had this, I could I could write really well. I, I had a good sense of color and typography. It just came quite easy, you know? And so it was his encouragement to do something with that that would that would end up being bulletproof that, um, that I love, you know? And I really, I'm really thankful for that, you know? So thanks, Mr. Moffat. Thanks, Mr. Moffat. It's amazing how pivotal those you know, small conversations can be, you know, that changed your entire journey in your career. Um, so tell us then, so you, you went into graphic design. How did that, you know, what what made you take the leap and set up your own agency, Bulletproof? And, you know, you've turned it into this multi-million pound business. What was the, what was the push point for you? So I, so when I, so studied graphic design started to love it really started to love typography and again that came from letter forms from graffiti and you know everything else and then I left I left during a recession you know and it wasn't it wasn't great and everything we had done was handwritten you know so we'd, we'd learned everything that was hand drawn and the Mac was just really coming into play so everywhere you know wanted you to use a Mac they'd sort of look at your book and go actually can you just use that computer you know and so I had to learn that my, myself. So, so I did. Um, and I joined, I joined a couple of places. So I joined a very small shop which did uh, record sleeves. You know, that's what they created. It was called Shoot That Tiger. Amazing. You know, we had an amazing little culture. There was like, there was only 10 of us. You know, it was a great atmosphere. People were, people were amazing. We had, we worked really long hours and we did some, some lovely work. The only problem with that was I quickly learned that for every great record sleeve you get to work on, 
there's like a hundred boy bands or girl bands, you know, even even back then, you know. So it's not it's really not creative as you as you wanted, you know. Um one of the guys left there and he took me with with him uh to a much to a much bigger agency. Uh, although it was it was small at the time and it grew to a hundred people within a year. And there I was being exposed to global clients, but the culture wasn't just wasn't right, you know, or what I what I understood to be culture then. It was the feeling is what is the way I describe it. So I just thought there's got to be a way of creating a business where you get global work, but you have a great culture where everyone feels, you know, included and, you know, we're, we're working hard, but we're enjoying it and we're learning and we're progressing all together. And I couldn't find it. So I freelanced for a little bit, just couldn't find it. So I thought rather than sort of moan about it, I'm just going to have to set it up. So I set, I set up Bulletproof, didn't really know what I was doing. You know, I had a little bit of savings. I put that 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 kind of went all on the first quarter's rent and a Mac, and that was it. Uh, and so it's really basic, you know. I got a really good address, which was in Covent Garden. It was a room, but the address was amazing. Uh, Betterton Street in Covent Garden. So it looked good on a business card, you know. So I did all of that. I did all the things I thought were right and important, you know, um, with with the little knowledge I had, uh, and and I set up, and that was and that was it. And how did you get the business off the ground? What was the big turning point for Bulletproof? So, so what what we did? So I started the business, and then I I basically got Johnny, who's my business partner. I roped him into it because we were winning lots of advertising projects or briefs or pitches, and I wanted someone to bounce ideas off. And we'd worked together at college anyway, you know. Um, and what would happen was we I'd be on the phone every day calling up agencies if they needed support calling up marketing businesses calling up brands and really going you know walking my wares to them every day when I'd land work and convince them that we could do this great work I then had to get back to the office that we shared which was you know smaller than this boardroom you know and we had to do the work so in the evening we were doing the work you know so it would be all day kind of selling showing what we can do convincing clients we're great in the evening it would be doing the work till you know very late hours in the morning um and then often getting a night bus home you know so the, the turning point really came when we sent out a mailer um it was kind of it was kind of like the last big push that we that we had you know we had a bit of money in the bank and we just thought we've got to do something because it was it was just tiring right just going out all the time trying to sell trying to to meet people and then really doing one project, getting one project out of that, you know? And so um, we, we did a mailer. We, we created a hundred of them. We sent them out to the great and the good, you know? Uh, and one of, the, one of the clients that we sent it to were, um, was Coca-Cola, one of the companies. And it was that, that, very, rare, that very rare timing where it was the, the right place at the right time. You know, so often it's not that, you know, it's that sliding doors moment where it's actually... Had you come to us, you know, two months ago, we'd have given you all our work. Um, and we got a call. And I, w- I remember I was on Tottenham Court Road. It was near Christmas. I was trying to do a bit of shopping. And I got this call, you know. Um, and I had this flip phone, you know. So I thought I was the shit. You know, I had this flip phone. And I was like, hello? And she went, is that Gush? And I went, yeah. And she went, oh, hi, it's Karen here from Coke. And I was like, oh, my God. 
hi Karen and then, you know trying to be real cool you know trying to style it out in in like the doorway of this shop you know with hundreds of people walking past you know and she was like look we've got the mailer we love it we have something we'd like to talk to you about can we come in tomorrow you know and I remember just going yes of course no problem trying to be all kind of you know cool get my breathing right and everything you know putting the phone down you know you know snapping it shut running back to the office saying we've got clear up we've got to clear this shit up we've got clients coming in tomorrow you know because we were like four boys in an office you know and um and that was it and she came and she brought one of the brand managers with her and we got our first gig for for coke and we that was the turning point that was amazing you know so you went from being this quite kind of scrappy startup you know working really late hours getting the night bus home surviving on fast food to having to quite quickly professionalize the business and working for global clients like coca-cola how did you professionalize the business what were some of those crucial steps you had to take business wasn't explained to me you know it what you, you know it wasn't like you do this you do that and it's a very different time you know when you talk about when you talk to people about pre pre-internet and pre-email it it sounds like the 1800s right and it and it really isn't, you know. So we were we were professional in that, you know, we could take a brief really well. You know, we'd we'd make our notes, we'd ask all the right all the right questions, even if we didn't understand everything, you know. Um, and then we worked really well to deadlines, you know. We and we put heart and soul into it, you know. So and that's all we that's all we knew. So although we were scrappy, you know, we never let our clients down. And really, we just kind of thought the thing that's going to the thing that's going to tip it is great original ideas and creativity. So we've always had that as a business, and that's a staple, really, of of Bulletproof today and what we what we represent. So that's never changed, you know. So that was how we that was how we dealt with it. What we had to what I had to do was I had to really think about the numbers, and that's what I wasn't used to, you know. So I'm a, I'm a creative by heart. And I still love the creative process. I still love, I still love seeing graffiti. You know, I still love all that, you know. So what I had to do, what I had to learn was how do you create that value? You know, so because what I was doing was looking at, okay, there's four of us working on this. We're working all night on this. It's X amount of hours. So it equals that, you know. And although that's not, that's not wrong in itself, it's not really saying, well, actually, this is a campaign that they're going to own for the next you know, two years and they've got to, it's going to be global, you know. So I wasn't really thinking about it like that. So that was the big thing, you know. And actually Karen, to her credit, we 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 were invited to work on um, the Coca-Cola Christmas campaign, which is their biggest campaign. And when I put the um, invoice, or sorry, when I put the estimate in, she came back and said, Gush, look, we need to talk. And I was like, okay. And she went, look, it's too low. You know, you've got to, you've got to make it higher because if you don't, you know, my my boss is going to think you are you guys aren't going to deliver, and I know you're going to deliver it. I know you know she's going to think what's missing because we're used to a little. So I said okay, and I didn't ask her how much by, but I you know I stuck another ten thousand pounds on it, which was everything. Kate, it was everything to us, and she she went yeah great, signed off. You know, so I had to learn that. That was how we. So I had to learn how to you know, invoice and, you know, create and generate estimates, you know, properly, you know, um, not just based on hours, but actually based on how they're going to use it, which was a massive learning curve for me. 
And as a creative then, did you go on any business courses or read any business books or was it just about finding your way and asking as you went along? I didn't know what I was doing, Kate. I didn't, there was, I didn't, you know, I, I still don't, I still don't read the books really. I still don't go on courses. I kind of think that everyone who runs those courses had never run a business, you know, uh, because I think there's theory and then there's practice, you know, and so never did that. Just kind of, look, if I'm really honest, I think just made it up as I went along, you know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I don't, you know, I'm not apologetic for that. You know, every day's learning. So you're learning new things all the time. We're asking all the right questions. You know, um, I've got Johnny there. We're, we're bouncing off one another in terms of, is that right? Does that feel right? Is that cool? You know, and then, you know, and asking asking our friends, our peers as well for, you know, some kind of, any kind of advice we could we could get, which was which is a little bit sparse, I've got to be honest. So, you know, but it felt right. And, it, and I think proof is, you know, if you do a really great bit of work, you get rewarded with more work, you know, and that was happening quite a lot, especially with Coca-Cola. So we knew we were doing something right. And then, you know, these amazing marketeers would go, just wait here. I want you to meet, you know, my counterpart in, in this area, you know. And so we loved that because, you know, we love people. We love that, that connection, you know. And so we knew it was going well because every time we went to Coca-Cola when they were in Hammersmith, in the hallowed halls of Hammersmith, you know, we'd pick up another brief. We'd go to deliver a presentation and pick up two briefs. You know, it was just, it was just incredible, you know, so we knew it was right, you know, and it never phased us because when you're like, when you're like 28, you know, and people are chucking work, you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. No, you know, no problem. Um, so it just, it, it felt intuitive and that's what, you know, intuitively it felt right. Um, and I'm a great believer in trusting, you know, instinct and your gut, you know, and so, and I, and I still believe in that today. You know, if you think something's off, it probably is. You know, and so um, that, that's that's how we navigated it. You know, so guess you've always stood out for thinking differently. And I know you've said before that as an immigrant, you have to adapt. So, how has that ability to adapt and reinvent yourself helped you as a business owner, particularly in recent turbulent times? Well, I think I think as an immigrant, you know, a bit of an outcast. I think you have to be resilient right? You know, because you're not treated the same, you're not treated fairly. So you've got to think in a different way. You know, I call it hustle, you know, and one of the team coined hustle and heart, which is a, it's a basketball term, you know, but, and that's what we're all about. So, you know, I think we've always, I think when you're, when you're an immigrant, when you're an outsider, you've, you have to think around the periphery quite a lot, you know, and you just don't, you can't go with the flow because you're not part of it. And so, you're always adapting and thinking about the next thing or what if I did this? So our business has been built on that from from the start. You know, it's um it's problem solving, it's solution solving, you know. And so that's how that's how my brain works, that's how I've always been brought up as well, you know, and I've had to I've had to learn that myself. So it's about thinking through things in different ways. So when, you know, when the pandemic hit, for example, you know, I think none of us knew you know, I think that's fair that none of us knew what was going to happen, right? Um, but we made a decision very early on that our team were feeling, you know, they were feeling very unsure, you know, very unsure about things. Um, and this this word kept coming up like furlough and, and everything else. And I had, to, I had to Google that. I didn't know what furlough was. I had no idea, you know. Um, who knew? 
And so we kind of looked at the books. We looked at, you know, our, we, we called our clients, you know, and we made a decision four weeks in to, to say to everyone, look, we're not going to furlough anyone. We're keeping everyone on. We want you to feel really reassured. And as we are working apart, sort of together, but apart, you know, we're going to put in regular catch-ups, regular meetings, regular Q&As where we can talk to you and you can ask us anything you want about the business, which we do anyway. You know, we do that anyway in within the business, uh, but we're all working virtually. So that's quite, that was quite difficult, you know. And, and I think it's just about, it's about listening and as things unfold going, you know, you've got an, you've got an idea and a process and if things change, you just got to rethink that narrative a little bit. You know, and that's what we're very good at. We don't just kind of go, we've got this in place now. That's the way it's going to be for the next five years. You know, as things change, you know, as the landscape changes in terms of business or, you know, um, something else we have to learn or a new technology comes in, you know, we rethink things and put them back into play, you know. And I think, I think that's cool. I think not enough people do that, you know. And I think as an immigrant, you're always thinking like that because you have to, you've got to be on your toes all the, you know, all the time. You know, and so I think it really helps. You know, as I say, what I thought was a weakness, being an outsider and having that outside perspective, I really think is a is a superpower to think differently. You know, and you're also supporting communities and um, underprivileged kids through charity work as well, aren't you? Yeah. So we we have a we have a charity fund uh, uh, that 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 my wife and I own um, called Sarvan's Trust which is um it basically supports children um it's it's so it's a it's a fund that it's a charity that supports underprivileged children um and our basis is that we we use learning and education as a way of self-improvement and progression you know because actually in many parts of the world education isn't a given you know and it's certainly not free uh and so schools we believe are kind of like the you know, it's quite interesting, my, my background, but, you know, we believe that schools in these local communities are the cornerstone, you know, because there's so much more than just a, a, a place for education. It's actually a place for community and people to come together. You know, they do so many functions for the, the villages and what have you. So uh, we've we've built a, a school in Barmakona uh, village, uh, which is in the Assam region of India. That's for 1,800 children. And when I say we built it, we... We funded the project through Action Aid, they're an amazing charity, and they they find us these projects. We basically we then take that project on, fund it, uh, and as part of that, we went over there to actually clear the land and lay the first initial bricks for the for the foundation, which was amazing. You know, um, these children that were just we were just in love with you know all, all of the children um, and the teachers. You, you know, honestly the and the, and the reason we do it in underprivileged, you know, uh, parts of the world is because for, for two, really. One is because it's really needed uh, and they don't have access to education and it's really important. And the other is that, you know, the pound goes a long way. You know, even now when we're smashed against the dollar, you know, um, in, in parts of India and, you know, other parts of the world, it still, go, it still goes a long way. So 150,000 builds a, a school, you know, um, for 1,800 children. We've got a second project we're supporting in Cambodia, uh, which we'll be doing, which we'll be going over in January um, of next year. So to do to do exactly the same thing. So really believe it's very important, you know, to to give back. And that kind of that goes back to my you know my roots, you know my my origin really. So I'm Sikh by um, 
by upbringing, you know, and as a, you know, as Sikhs, you know, we are, we're taught seva and, you know, seva is the act of, of giving, you know, without, without any consequence to yourself, right? So, you know, you give, um, you, you help and you give unconditionally, you know, you don't take anything, anything back for it. Uh, so I've always been brought up like that. And um, I think if you're in a position of, you know, strength, you should help those that are less so. I've always, always thought like that. So it's something we foster here at Bulletproof. Um, and out of the pitch fees that we donate to charity, anyone at Bulletproof can nominate a charity that's close to their hearts, you know, for personal reasons, and we'll support it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Gush. I'm just in awe and I'm sure our listeners are as well. No, thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed hearing Gush's story, please share this episode with your friends and don't forget to leave a review. It really does make a difference. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week for more sound advice, entrepreneurs unfiltered. <laughs>